to the Mastering College Podcast, a guide to landing your dream job. I'm your host, Daniel Botero, and my goal is to help you take away that fear of graduating without a job and instead teach you how to land your dream job. Welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Sarah King. She is the Chief Human Resource Officer for Darden Restaurant. And if you don't know what Darden is, they are um, a Fortune 500 company here in Orlando, Florida. But without further ado, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me and look forward to talking with you for the next few minutes. I am so excited. I know that um, your wealth of knowledge, and I'm excited just to talk about the topic of generational communication, uh, which is a big, big topic going on right now. But before we dive into the topic, Sarah, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the audience? Okay, thank you. So I have been the Chief HR Officer here at Darden for just over 18 months. Prior to that, I spent 20 years working for a hotel and resort company, mostly international. Um, I'm originally from New Zealand. Uh, I started my working life working in restaurants a long time ago, Uh, so it's really great for me to be back in the restaurant industry, and specifically with Darden Restaurants, that is a great company based here in Central Florida. We have eight amazing brands, uh, starting with Cheddar Scratch Kitchen, Olive Garden, Longhorn Steakhouse, Seasons 52, Yard House, Bahama Breeze, Capital Grill, and Eddie V's. So lots of diversity. We have an experience for everybody. I love it. I'm sure if, if you're in Central Florida, you've definitely eaten at one of those restaurants. Right. Um, for me, when I was growing up, every time we celebrated something, my mom and I always went to Olive Garden. I know, that, right? That was our restaurant I think everybody did that. <laughs> um, that's where it was. Where do you want to go to celebrate for your birthday? Olive Garden. So that was definitely um, for me. Can't, but Can't beat those breadsticks. <laughs> those breadsticks or, uh, I mean, you can. Cheddar has some awesome um, yeah. as well. But Sarah, so let's talk about this because when, when we previously met, we were trying to discuss what is a great topic that would add a lot of value to the students. And one of them that we ended up really focusing on is generational communication. And in my perspective, companies are, this is a hot topic, something the companies talk about is how do they communicate to the different generations, specifically millennials and centennials. But what I wanted to make sure that we talk about is how can millennial students and centennial students communicate better with the organizations that they want to work for. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think it is such a great topic because one of the fundamental, you know, reasons for conflict in the workplace, it always comes back to communication. And all of a sudden you've got five generations in the workplace that have grown up very differently. Um, they've, They've had very different sort of macroeconomic situations in their lives Um, You know, technology is a huge game changer, uh, but you've got the different generations that have different levels of capability with technology. And I think the way that people communicate with each other has significantly changed. I have two teenage boys and, you know, if I want to talk to them, I need to text them. They will not answer the phone when I call. And so I've, I've really studied it a lot and looked at how do we do a better job you know, promoting cross-generational communication. And so I I think the reason it's so important is, well, first of all, many of you listening today are going to be thinking about that first job or that first internship. And, you know, going in for that first step of your career, you need to probably think about 
who are you going to be interviewed by? And, and understand a little bit more about, you know, the, the types of um, traits and communication styles that each of the generations are used to and putting yourselves in the shoes of, of others so that you can understand how to better communicate with them. And, you know, there's lots of jokes being made about millennials and centennials can't get their face out of their phone. And some days that's true. Um, but I think when you're going into the workforce, you have to think about how to present yourself in the best light, which is really about understanding your audience and the culture of the company and, you know, what the generational preferences are of the people that are interviewing you. Um, you need to make a good first impression um, and how you communicate with your peers or your friends uh, may not be the best way to communicate with future bosses. So I definitely agree. I see that a lot in, in students, and and I made some of those mistakes, and I'll, I'll even open up um, to the audience because the biggest change that I had from when I was a college student to when I joined the workforce and I was working at PepsiCo, I was put in a place where I was managing a team that was very diverse. And mm-hmm. there was people in my – I was managing a sales team, and I had – People that were could be, you know, towards the end of their career, and they were um, definitely baby boomers and centennials. Actually, or not centennials. Um, gen, what was the generation? Gen X. Gen X. Yeah, that's um, me. No, 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 before baby boomers. Um, oh, um, traditionalists. Traditionalists. Um, and he was about a year before the graduation, and then I had some that were Gen X, and I had baby boomers, and I had people that were my age. And for me, I was communicating to them all the same way and a lot of the feedback that I got during roundtables was the communication mm-hmm. and uh, the way that it wasn't and to the point where that was the biggest thing that was hurting my career earlier in my career and I'm being very honest mm-hmm. is the way that I was communicating and had it find out the tough way that texting the whole team wasn't effective right um that i had to make personal phone calls or i had to wait before or after the shift and have one-on-one face-to-face mm-hmm. meetings with some of them and once i ended up implementing those changes it really changed the way that the whole team perceived me as a leader right and it was hard yeah. but what are your thoughts on that as a student how can they start changing that now when they're in college so the first thing i think you can do is do some research right there is a multitude of uh, information out on the web around generational diversity. It is a big strategic item for most large companies. You know, especially at the moment, unemployment is so low, so yeah. there's a very strong war for talent. So companies are trying to make sure that they are communicating with attracting and recruiting. Um, you know, millennials and centennials better than their competition. So there's a little bit of an advantage there. But having said that. There are certain industries and certain types of jobs, um, certainly in the professional world, where companies are looking for articulate communicators. So the first thing I would do is go out and and research generational diversity, understand what are the different um, traits of each of the of each of the generations. For example, you know, communication. How do baby boomers like to be communicated to? Typically face to face, versus you know, centennials, typically text or Snapchat or whatever it might be. Um, And then the other thing is things around how, you know, the different generations like to be recognized, for example. Uh, And again, going, and I'm generalizing, um, but for the most part, folks that grew up in a, in, you know, post-war eras, the, 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 
career for life in the corner office and the gold watch, that was the aspiration. That's not the case these days. But I think there's still, you know, if you're going into an organization, you need to understand who's interviewing you and, you know, do your research and, and have respect for other people's career paths and what they've achieved and, and just, you know, learn a little bit more about them. These days you can go and you can Google anybody, right? Mm-hmm. So if you know who you're being interviewed with, uh, or buy, go and Google them and find out a little bit more about some of the things that they've done in their career that might be an opportunity for you to make that personal connection. Um, I, I think no matter what generation, for the most part, certainly in a customer-centric business, recruiters and hiring managers are looking for people that can make a human connection. So you have to think about how do you make that human connection. If you're looking down and kind of you know, not being confident in the way you speak, it's going to create a perception that either you don't want to be there or you're not a good communicator. So, you know, make eye contact. Sounds really basic, but good eye contact, clear communication, you know, some purpose behind your words, some passion for what you're doing. Um, that is what will help you stand out from the next person that might be there going like, oh, I don't really care if I get this job or not, and so I'm just going to go through the motions. Um, but certainly today with the, you know, the the availability of information. There's no reason why you can't do as much research in this area as you do on, you know, interviewing skills. Makes perfect sense. What do you think are some of the mistakes that millennials or centennials make when going into an interview when it comes to communication? Um, Well, I don't know that it's necessarily unique to millennials or centennials, um, but I I do think that, first of all, you know, humility goes a long way. Walking in with an attitude of like, you know, I'm all that and I'm going to, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start this job on $100,000 a year is, is not realistic, right? And you have to be respectful for the people that are interviewing you have got experience and they've got some battle scars, right? They've been through a bunch of different cycles in in business. Um, and right now, people that are entering the workforce have really only seen, you know, super yeah. low unemployment, high wage growth. Um, but some of the folks that you're going to be interviewing with have been through the ups and downs of the business cycle because what goes up always comes down. Um, so showing that humility and that respect for somebody's career and somebody's achievements, I think is is always a good idea. So the mistake is going in there and being, you know, yeah. cocky. Frankly, do you want confidence though? There's a difference There's between a confidence yeah. and cockiness, right? Confidence is knowing your worth and knowing your value and knowing what you can bring to the organization. Cockiness is um, going in there thinking that the other person mm-hmm. already sees that, right? So you've got to do a good job selling yourself in a way that's, you know professional again it depends on the industry some industries are a little bit more buttoned up than others so it comes back to knowing your audience and knowing who you're meeting with and understanding okay this struck this organization has a more formal culture so i probably need to go in and be a little bit more formal um this culture is a bit more laid back so i can probably still be professional but not quite as buttoned up and i had a situation that happened here recently um where Somebody interviewed for a job here at our our restaurant support center, which is our corporate headquarters, and I actually knew this person from a previous role, and they interviewed with one of my directors, and, you know, I was obviously an advocate for this person because I'd worked with them before, and they didn't interview well. They made assumptions that because this was a corporate head office, that they needed to be really corporate and really buttoned up and really formal, 
And we're a restaurant company. So yes, we're a corporate head office, but we're here to, you know, deliver great experiences for people and have fun and, and have a, you know, a very hospitality centric organization. And so it didn't, I, I couldn't understand how this person had come across in a different way. And when I reached out to them, they said, well, I, I probably came in and was a little bit more formal than I normally am because I thought that's what you wanted. And so that comes back to doing your research about the company, about who's interviewing you and understanding the culture as well as the individuals. That makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. I share a lot with students about having more of a sniper approach of looking for a job versus a shotgun approach. Um, and, and I think I see that a lot is students will go to a career fair and they'll have a stack of 50 plus resumes and they'll give a resume to every company that is hiring in accounting or finance mm-hmm. or managing. And what I really share is about you cannot positively be a subject matter expert in 100 companies. Mm-hmm. But if you were to narrow that search you to five to ten companies and be able to really identify what they're looking for, what the company culture is like, network and, you know, invite people who work at the company to coffee to understand and be able to job shadow, then you can actually make a better decision. You can actually build those capabilities and skills that you have to become the ideal candidate. My next question that I had for you is you know, generally a best practice when you go into an interview is to bring a portfolio with you to be able to write notes. Mm-hmm. But I see that millennials and centennials now are using their phones to write notes. Like, what are your thoughts on them doing that in an interview? So, again, I think it depends who you're interviewing with. I think if you're interviewing with somebody that um, is, you know, similar generationally to you, they probably understand that that's what you're doing, I think you should explain, mm-hmm. hey, I'm taking notes on my phone because if somebody doesn't realize that what that's what you're doing, they're going to think that you're on your phone, which is obviously like yeah. an instant interview no, killer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's some value in showing that you've done some preparation and have questions. Um, but if you're going to do those, if you're going to pull up your phone and say, hey, I wrote, I wrote some questions down, I'm just going to look at them on my mm-hmm. phone, just be transparent, right? Again, it comes back to communication. Just explain that that's what you're doing versus just pulling your phone out and you might have somebody going, why is this person, are yeah. they checking their text messages? Are they are they yeah. on, you know, Instagram? Like, because like it's not important to, it's not like if they don't care to be here. Right. You know? and, and I think you'll find that's even more important, the older generations, mm-hmm. right? You really have to, I, I would avoid, yeah. again, I don't like to generalize, but I would avoid pulling out your phone if you're being interviewed by a baby boomer. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would agree <laughs> completely. Um, I've only seen that happen a couple of times out of all the times I used to do a lot of campus interviews, but it did happen. And when it happened to me, I was even shocked that somebody would willing to pull their phone out. Um, so let's say that um, a student is very interested in working in, a, let's say we're generalizing a lot here, working in a corporate environment and they're going to be, their boss is going to be Gen X. Mm-hmm. How does a millennial what can they do to prepare to have a relationship? Because a lot of times that's what's going to happen. Most most millennials are going to have bosses that are either Gen X or baby boomers mm-hmm. to have a good relationship with their boss. Like what are some things that they can do now to get ready for that? Right. So I'm a Gen X and, you know, I, I again, I think it does depend on the individual. But um, so, so Gen X is, I think, we were the first um, generation where we started dabbling in technology. Right. So I, but we're nowhere near, like I am, I am nowhere near as capable as my kids. And if I need something on my phone or my iPad fixed, I hand it over to one of my sons and say, okay, can you figure this out for me? Um, 
so we're kind of in that, uh, us Gen Xers are kind of in that in-between, right? We, I call myself a middle-aged millennial. It's kind of a joke around here because I do behave more like a millennial, um, but I still have some, some, you know, leftover traits from being brought up half in a generation where, you know, we, we did resumes on typewriters. Actually, I think my first resume was handwritten. Um, and so I think it's, I think the opportunity is for millennials that are reporting to Gen X is to, you know, learn from them and ask them, um, you know, what are some of the leadership lessons that, that Gen Xs have learned? I think um, Generation X is probably the first uh, generation of leaders that have started to be more progressive in the way they think about the way work gets mm-hmm. done. Um, I think Gen X leaders are far more open-minded about, um, you know, flexible workplace arrangements yeah. or being innovative with with um, benefits or, you know, programs in the workplace. And I think we're bridging that gap, frankly. I feel like that a lot sometimes, yeah. that I'm bridging that gap between my millennial workforce and some of my baby boomer leadership. And so I think to the extent that you can make that connection with the Gen X and say, how can I help you continue to hear the voice of the millennials and the centennials? Um, that's a real value add for me, right? I have some great relationships here with a bunch of millennial um, employees who give me great feedback on here's a way that I think you could probably engage differently with the millennial Mm -hmm. employee base, both here in the corporate office and with 180,000 employees across the country in our restaurants. And so I value that relationship with my my millennial friends because it it holds up a mirror to me as a leader of the organization about what, what could we be doing better? What are other companies doing? How do we better communicate with the millennial and centennial employee populations? But it also gives us a window into millennials and centennials as customers. Because let's not forget, this is not just about employees. This is also about how do we market to millennial and centennial customers. And I think organizations can, can lean into millennial and centennial employees and seek feedback on how can we be better organizations for that consumer base that is rapidly changing. Do you see um, a difference between the way that a millennial female communicates and a, than a millennial male? <laughs> well, I'm not sure that that's a generational thing. Yeah. I think that that's more of a gender thing. Okay. Um, again, you know, not wanting to generalize. Um, but I do see some differences in the way men and women communicate. And I think that that no matter what generation goes back to, you know, your norms that you were raised with and what was socially acceptable for a woman and socially acceptable for a man. And I think that's actually, frankly, more cultural different, culturally different than generationally different. Okay. Um, I've lived all over the world and I've seen in different countries that I've lived in you know, you see the traditional norms um, reflected in the way that men and women communicate differently. And if you think about that, you know, if if you take as an example, you know, Asian countries and, and how the social and traditional norms are in Asian countries versus some European countries versus South American companies, right? There's very different, um, even within the Latina communi- uh, community, there's very different cultures within that community. So I think that one is very much tied to um, gender, is very much tied more to cultural beliefs and norms about how men and women 
are, you know, quote unquote, supposed to behave. Makes perfect sense. That's a whole nother yeah. podcast. <laughs> another po- All right. No, no, that, that was great. Um, one of the other things that I see a lot of difference is the amount of feedback that as a millennial, and, I, and again, generalizing, mm-hmm. I would always want feedback. I would probably talk to my boss about, like, hey, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. If not weekly, monthly. Mm-hmm. And it was me trying to go and ask him for feedback. But different generations want that feedback differently. And so what are some of the differences that you've seen and um, how do companies I try to adjust to that? So first of all, I think everybody wants to be validated that they're doing a good job, no matter what uh, generation you're from. Um, and I do read the rhetoric about millennials and centennials wanting more instant feedback. And as a company, we are teaching our leaders of all generations the different ways that you can do that. But the way that I package it up is what I call continuous coaching, right? And if you liken it to a sports team, you don't just give your players feedback at the end of the weekend, right? It is ongoing all through the game, before the game, during the game, after the game. And I think sporting analogies, while um, fairly cliche, there's a there's a lot of commonality between sports and business. And so for me, it's about, you know, it, it comes down to understanding your people because not everybody wants to be patted on the back five times a day and some people do. And so you need to get to know your people. I think that runs true of whatever generation. And I think that's where we see a little bit of conflict, right? Because the baby boomers were like, well, we never got any feedback. We just had, you know, yeah, we were just, were, yeah, we were yeah. just happy to have a job. Yeah. Um, and you have to be respectful of the journey that these people have been through when they've come out of a post-war, you know, era and dealt with all sorts of, you know, craziness in the business world. Um, and in this, in social, you know, in the social environment, um, you know, for me, it's all about respect. No matter what generation is respecting people's differences and similarities, because you know what's really interesting? We've we've seen a bunch of research that says that the baby boomers and the centennials are the most similar generations, notwithstanding the technology piece, but in terms of values and and what what they look for um, in employers. There's there's this kind of Thing that's come full circle. It's quite interesting. So I, I'm watching that research. Is it can it be because you know after the war that's where the baby boomers happened and you know there was some prosperity and then now the, the centennials have grown up on you know good economic times. I, I don't know what it. I, it could be, but I think it's more than just that. I think there's some, um, you know, I think the centennial uh, generation, generally speaking, is very purpose driven. Right, they're looking for organisations that have a purpose, mm-hmm. and the baby boomers. Uh, are also like that in a different way, right? And you also have to think about how the world's changed socially. So back in when when the baby boomers were at the same place in their career that centennials are, I mean, women didn't work in the workplace, right? That it was right. very traditional. You were maybe a school teacher or a nurse or a secretary. So the dynamics of the workplace have changed too. And you just just put yourself in the shoes of of, of the baby boomers and and even to some extent Gen X about how much social change they have witnessed in their lives and how that has impacted the workplace. And I think it's it's really important to show respect for those people that have been through the experiences that you have not yet had. Right. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, in terms of um, the first year, so let's, we're talking about a student, you know, we talked about, you know, different ways to interview better, you know, communicate, doing your research. They got the job, Right. 
What is some advice or what is some suggestion that a student can do now to make sure that they are putting themselves in a to an, an a successful track in, in the, with that company mm -hmm. when it relates to communication? Um, so the first one, which is often the hardest, is to listen and learn, right? I think one of the things I see people do that is kind of the kiss of death is to come into an organization and think they know it all. And there is so much to learn about how organizations function and there are a lot of relationships to build. Um, you kind of have to earn the right to, you know, be part of the of the solution because you can't come in on day one and and know the history of the organization, the the you know the mission, vision, values of the organization. So spend some time listening and learning. And concurrently with that, build relationships, right? Build relationships within your team, across your team. Most organizations now, no matter what industry, you know, having a, an aligned team that is aligned to goals and outcomes is pretty standard. Organizations have to do more with less, right? Most companies now are pretty lean and mean. And so having that team focus and, and having alignment to what needs to be delivered um, is really critical. So I think listening and learning from a communication perspective is priority number one. And then priority number two is building relationships with people in your team and outside of your team so that you understand the bigger picture and you're not making decisions in a vacuum. Yeah, you, you made such a great point that I, I just remember um, when it happened to me a lot is a student is hired and they come into the organization and say that they're, they're hired to um, to be a sales associate or, or whatever it may be the title. is That's not the point. I guess the point is they come in, they feel like they should already know it all. And so, um, and as a student, they're like, well, I was hired for this role, but as an organization, and I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, they're hired, but they, they're hired. They're not expected to know it all as they're hired. Oh, they're gosh, expected no. to be trained and every business runs their business differently. And I think for me, I was in a nine month training program yeah. before I was even expected to help the bottom line in a sense. Right. And I, th I think that's exactly right. You know, what, what organizations are hiring for um, is certainly at a graduate, you know, a, a graduate level is um, can you demonstrate that you've learned the basics on how to do this job effectively? But that is like the foundation. Right. There is nobody that thinks that somebody straight out of college can come in here and know it all And quite frankly, nobody wants a know-it-all in their organization. And I will also tell you from personal experience, what you learn at college and what happens in the real world are completely different. Now, you need to know the stuff that you learn at college, but the practical application in the real world can look a hundred different ways depending on industry, company culture, leadership, you know, the macroeconomics of what's going on. I mean... The graduating college is not the passport to going yeah. straight in and being, you know, the the most yeah. awesome employee you can. And we all know that, right? But having that attitude of wanting to be open-minded and learning, that's what's going to make you stand out from others. Yeah, I mean, I think that and I think you explained it so much better than what I was trying to explain it. If you're a student and you're hired into, you know, especially if it's a Fortune 500, they're not hiring you because you're the best accountant. 
Mm-mm. No, they could hire somebody outside with years of experience if they really wanted somebody to hit the ground running. Uh, I think they want somebody. I think are you hiring them based on potential, the potential Definitely. of what the student is going to be able to do Definitely. in the long term. Potential right? and attitude, right? I think we all feel like um, having the right fit in your organization because every culture is different. So we're looking for people that have the fundamental skills to you've got to be able to do the basics of the job but we know we're going to have to train you the Darden way for example for us but do not ever underestimate how much companies look for attitude because when you've got a great attitude we can teach you the rest right and that's not just darn I mean from all the experience no. from other other companies that you worked with is it is attitude and making it's a potential in the attitude one of the biggest reasons why somebody gets a job, especially right out of college. I think it depends on the company. For me personally, yeah. I've always worked for companies that believe that, and that's just a personal value of mine because I was a, a great example of somebody that didn't have a traditional, you know, career path. Um, and somebody took a chance on me, right? And I had a great attitude and I was hungry to learn and I learned quickly. Um but my very first kind of, you know, quote unquote, real job, I was technically not qualified for it. But somebody saw something in me um, that made them take a chance on me. And so I feel very strongly about, you know, you hire for attitude, you train for skill, but you always look for potential. Wow. You hire for attitude, you train for skills, but you always look for potential. Yeah. That's excellent. You know, I'm just going to go down. I have just two more questions for you. Um, one of them being, if somebody was interested in working for Darden, as a student, what is the best way for them to position themselves to be the perfect candidate to work for Darden? Well, I think it's just do your research, right? Understand when you walk in, if you're coming to interview for an internship or, or a job, um, understand the brand. We look for people that are passionate about food, right, and passionate about the customer experience. So you need to be able to demonstrate that either whether it's through any kind of volunteer work you've done or part-time job or what you've chosen to study, but we're looking for that passion for what we do and and somebody that has a service heart, right? We are here to serve our guests and to serve each other and you have we, we look for that in people when we when we meet with them. Excellent. Is there any question that you wish I would have asked you? Um, you want to make sure that we get it out I there. I don't think so. I think you've covered it all well. I mean I I, I think, you know, just if, if I could leave it with one point, I think the biggest thing that I've seen over the course of my career is I just think no matter you know what generation you are, where you're from, what gender you are, what your cultural background is, it all comes back to respecting other people, right? And and walking a minute in their shoes before you rush to judgment. And I think you know if we could all do that, then not only would the workplace be a better place, but the world would be a better place as well. Perfect. Actually, you just did my last question. My last question in every single episode is, Is there what is the one thing, if a student listens to this, that they could take away, what would it be? You just definitely answered it. Um, Sarah, I, I want to just thank you so much for, you know, you know, giving your time to be part of this. I know that you, you share so much information that I actually wish I would have known when I was a college student, specifically when it comes to communicating mm-hmm. with different generations in the workforce and what I could do as a student to get ready for that. Um, and so, I, again, I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. And, You're welcome. Um, I look forward to staying connected. Thank you. Good luck out there. Thank you from 
the bottom of my heart from taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to this episode. I truly hope that you loved it as much as I enjoyed making and creating this content for you. My goal is to provide content that's going to help you master college and land your dream job. So if this helped you and if you know someone that should listen to this podcast, please, please share it with them. Nothing will make me happier than to see this podcast grow and make this community bigger so that we can help every student be able to graduate with their dream job. And I hope to see you guys in the next episode.